Parents, if you would like to send your kids to Wiggle Worms, now would be the time. Send them with Miss Amy over here. That's kids up through second grade. And uh, parents, if you would like to keep your kids in here with you, we always encourage you to do that. Uh, and know that if uh, it comes something that you need, there is a privacy room there in the back right, your right, of the auditorium. <coughs> we are going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians this morning. We're also going to be in Acts, but 1 Corinthians is going to be the main passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23, if you want to go ahead and look that up. If you brought your Bibles with you, we'll be there shortly. If you didn't bring your Bible with you, Scripture will be on the screen behind me when we get to that point. Uh, but before we start, let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, once again, we thank you for your presence here this morning. And God, we thank you for the chance to worship together as one body, to sing about all the good things you've done. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to speak to our hearts this morning. God, that your spirit um, would grant me the gift to communicate the word uh, that you would have communicated today. God, that your word would be opened to the hearts and minds of everyone here this morning so that we might see how applicable your word is to us today and the way that it might encourage us and convict us as we seek to follow you day-to-day life. Lord, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Cheryl and I were watching television Tuesday night. We're watching some Netflix. And this wasn't just any, like, normal television watching that we do. Cheryl was actually giving me a gift in watching television. Um, by the way, guys, if, if you married couples out there, if you're looking for something that might be a, a nice help uh, for you and your spouse just to do some nice things for each other, with each other, uh, we are going through a, ser- a set of books. It's actually two books. Um, they are respectively called 31 Ways to Love and Encourage Him and 31 Ways to Love and Encourage Her uh, by Jefferson and Alyssa Bethke. I have the her, she has the him. Uh, and it's 31 days and ways, short, digestible, easily digestible things you can do for your spouse. So that's just something you might think about. It's a Christian author, wrote from a Christian perspective, uh, and it's been good. And one of the things that was in Cheryl's book was to, in a phrase, enter my world. That was the name of the chapter, right? To enter his world. Uh, and so she came to me Tuesday and she said, we're going to do whatever you want to do tonight. Now, we watch TV together sometimes. Uh, there are a few things that we like, uh, that we both like, that we know we can watch. But by and large, when we're watching television, it's either a cartoon, because Corbin's in the room, or it's something that one of us likes. Like uh, tonight uh, at four and five o'clock, you can probably guess what I'm going to be watching. Can I get a what, what, Cowboys fans? <laughs> All right. You can guess what I'm going to be watching. Cheryl might be kind of into it since it's a playoff game, but most of the time she's not going to be watching a game on television. She likes them live, but doesn't like watching them on TV. Uh, on the flip side, I'm not a huge fan of HGTV or TLC. Uh, Cheryl will watch that. Sometimes I'll get into it, you know, just passing through the room, but it's not something that I would choose to watch. And so we were watching one of those things Tuesday night that was specifically me. Like she asked something you want to do that you like to do. And so a lot of times, if she asked, what do you want to watch? I would pick something that we both wanted to watch, but I know this is my night. So I'm going to choose something that is just particularly me. Now, she could have been like, okay, whatever, and kind of sighed her way through the whole thing. But she actually got into it and ended up kind of enjoying it. Maybe not as much as I do, uh, but ended up kind of enjoying it. And it showed love to me in that she entered my world that way and didn't just go through the motions, but actually tried to enjoy something with me even though it's not something she might have enjoyed by herself. 
We do that with our kids all the time, don't we, parents? When we get down on the floor and play with them, we play Legos, that's what Corbin is, is starting to be really into now, or we go to a theater and we pay 8 $9 a ticket, sometimes more, uh, to watch an animated film, something that we wouldn't do on our own, but we want to get in our kids' world. And we're not just doing that to pass the time or to win some dad of the year trophy, but we know that they enjoy it, and so we want to get down in their world and enjoy it with them. That's an, an attitude of love, to show love to someone that you care about, forgetting your own desires, your own wants, so that you might communicate love to someone that you care about. And that's the idea we're going to focus on this morning as we read about the Apostle Paul who was once known as Saul. The idea, to put it very simply, is to lose yourself, to realize that your mission, your God-given mission to be a disciple who makes disciples, to give yourself for others, outweighs your own desires and things that you might want for yourself. Again, we're going to do so in our series, New Year, New Name, by looking at Saul, who became known as Paul. Now, it might be surprising to some of you, because I think a lot of people, and I was one of these people, would just kind of assume that Saul had his name, the Apostle Paul, had his name changed from Saul to Paul when he was converted. That would seem to make sense, right? Then in Acts chapter 9, when he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, that Saul suddenly becomes known as Paul. Saul, the persecutor of Christians, becomes known as Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, or the missionary to the Gentiles. But that's not the case. Saul actually had two names all along. It was kind of common in that day. Saul was his given name, his Jewish name. Paul was his Roman name or his Greek name. They had both all along. He was known as one or the other depending upon which crowd he would be in. Now, he went by Saul most of the time early in the book of Acts, and it seems to be a distinct change. But where Paul's name changed, if we want to even call it that because his name isn't really ever officially changed, is different than all of the others. Where it's different is that God doesn't come down to him like he did with Jacob that we looked at last week in Genesis 32 and say, your name is no longer Saul. From now on, you shall be known as Paul. But I still think there's a great deal of meaning in the fact that he does end up essentially changing his name or at least he goes with the one that's different, no longer Saul. We see Saul appear in Acts 7 and 8. Uh, We see him as a top-level persecutor of the Christian church, a zealous Jew who is not okay with this Christian heresy, this heresy that Jesus Christ could actually be the Messiah. And so he works against that. He shows up for the first time present at the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, uh, seemingly in a position of authority as men are laying coats at his feet, kind of recognizing that he is leading the group in that moment. We see that fleshed out a little bit further in Acts chapter 8, where he leads a kind of a um, kind of a, 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 a purge of, or trying to lead a purge of Christians uh, in, in Judea, trying to persecute the Christians out of that area to get rid again of that heresy, and we see it kind of come to a head in Acts chapter nine, where it said that he was breathing murderous threats against the church, showing just how deep his hatred of the church and the way of Jesus Christ was, and it's in Acts chapter nine where things change suddenly for Saul. Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus, and then there's a miraculous, very quick, like sudden conversion, like a complete 180. He goes from being a persecutor of the church to a champion of the church. All in one chapter, he goes from a man who is breathing murderous threats against Christians to a man who is standing up against other Jews, speaking that Jesus Christ is actually the truth. 
and arguing that to the point that now his fellow Jews, who he was working with just like a few verses ago, now want to kill him. And at the end of Acts chapter 9, he realizes that he has to get out. His disciples, his, his new friends in Christ realize that as well, and they send him off to Tarsus. He disappears for a couple of chapters, and we see him again in Acts chapter 11 when Barnabas goes to retrieve him for help in Antioch, being a minister, a missionary in Antioch. He and Barnabas do some great work in Antioch. Things go really well in Acts chapter 11. But then at the end of Acts chapter 11, they are sent back to Judea in Jerusalem to take some money, a collection, back to the Jews who were uh, under some hardship there because of the persecution. So he comes back after that trip at the end of Acts chapter 12 and at the beginning of Acts chapter 13, where he actually begins to be called Paul. At the beginning of Acts chapter 13, Saul, he's still known as Saul at this point at the beginning, he and Barnabas are set aside by the Holy Spirit, set apart by the Spirit, recognized by the leaders of the church in Antioch, prayed over, anointed, and they are sent out to do missionary work in the Gentile world. And one of the first places that Saul and Barnabas end up is Cyprus. And while they are there, they encounter a leader, a proconsul named Sergius Paulus, that they are looking to witness to, perhaps convert, so that he might be a powerful ally in the spread of Christianity in that area. And when they are doing this, there is a, a magician named Lumos that comes against them and opposes them. And Paul calls Saul, excuse me, Saul calls him out immediately locks eye to eye with him and says something to him that I'll get to here in just a second. But he says something to him that seems to, like this whole event seems to change Paul's direction and even how he looked at himself. Now, the verse I'm about to read seems small and insignificant, but go with me for just a second. In Acts 13.9, in the middle of this story, after they have realized that Elumas the magician is being a problem, is hindering the spread of the gospel, it says this. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. Now, that's a, it goes on with the rest of the story. Paul, now he's being called Paul from this point. He says to the magician, you will be struck blind, basically curses him. That very thing happens. Uh, the proconsul, seeing what Paul and Barnabas had done, becomes a believer, and it is a big win in Cyprus for the Christian mission. Kind of Paul's big first missionary event, if you will, in the Gentile world, a big first win. Now that seems like an insignificant verse, but it's important because this is the last time in the New Testament that Saul is called Saul. From this point forward, he is known by the name Paul, all throughout the book of Acts. There might be one or two places in, 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 uh, in Paul's letters where he refers to himself like in the past tense and might use that name, but this name is never picked up again in its use. Paul actually calls himself Paul in all of, all of his letters, whether it's a more Gentile or a more Jewish audience that he's trying to reach or a mixed audience. He prefers to go with the name Paul. And almost all of Paul's epistles in the New Testament, you will see this bear to be the reality. I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, am called. You know, and he goes on from there to introduce himself and the letter to the people that he's writing it to. And so Paul goes by this name from now on. He calls the magician out, there's this big win, and then he seems to go by a completely different name from that point forward. Now, real quick, what the names mean. Saul, that name was a very big and strong name in the Jewish world. Saul was the name of the first king of Israel. The name itself meant, like the word itself meant, someone who was desired or sought after. Saul was a man that was larger than life in the Old Testament. He was also very flawed, but he was a big, strong king that the people, at least at first, really liked and wanted to be the king, the man in charge. 
And so Saul, Paul, when he was called Saul, starts off with this name. Now, he was probably given the name Paul, the Roman name Paul, because it sounded so much like Saul, but in reality, the name meant something very different. He went from having this big kingly name to Paul, which in Greek, the language that the, that the, the name originates, that means small or little. So he went from being the king, right, this big, desired, sought-after individual, his name, to the little guy, essentially. It would be like if someone came to me and said, hey, I'm going to change your name. And I was given one or two options, right? I'm Corey. I, I like that name. I've always liked that name. Never had any problem with it. And someone came to me and said, we're going to name you, I think it's something really manly. We're going to name you Rufus. Anybody like Rufus? That's kind of manly, right? I can see that. I can see a, you know, a leather biker jacket with Rufus emblazoned on the back in like fire kind of font. You can see that, right? That's kind of a manly name. If there's any Rufuses in the house, good on you. That's a manly name. I appreciate that. I would probably like that, at least to some degree. I don't know how my wife would feel about being married to a Rufus, but I would probably like that. It seems manly, seems strong. Now, on the flip side, let's imagine that someone came to me and said, okay, you're no longer Corey, but your name's going to be Jacqueline. I don't think I would go for that. Now, if there's any dudes in here named Jacqueline, I sincerely apologize. It's a wonderful name, but I wouldn't like that as opposed to Rufus. And so here's Paul with this name of the sought one, the desired one, uh, the one who is named after the first king of Israel. He gets that name, and then he chooses to go from this point forward with little man or little guy, small one. Paul seems to prefer this name that isn't even really an upgrade by any stretch of the human imagination, seems to prefer this Roman name as he begins to live out his divine calling as a missionary to the Gentiles. It's as if Paul sees what God, where God is leading him and decides to forsake his Jewish name in order to take the Gentile name that he was given in order to fit in in the Roman world. He was a Roman citizen. That's why he had a Roman name. So he would use that name as he went out to be the missionary to the Gentiles, the missionary to the unreached people groups. They didn't even use that language back then. We use that a lot today. But those who had not yet heard the gospel, he was going to take that out to them. Those who had not yet even heard that there was one true true God that's in the Old Testament. He was going to take the story of Jesus to them, which he does in huge miraculous fashion throughout the rest of the book of Acts and as we see also cataloged in his epistles. Paul, little man, he seems to almost revel in this. Uh, 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 Bill sang a perfect song earlier that kind of encapsulates this kind of move of Paul where he could have had everything, but he chose to be small for the sake of the gospel where he chose to give up everything for the sake of the gospel. Paul even calls himself in 1 Corinthians 15, he says that he is the least of the apostles. I, little man, Paul, am the least of the apostles. I am willing to count everything else as loss. All of these wonderful things that I had as a Jew, all of the things that I took great pride in and could have lorded over people, I'm going to consider that as loss for the sake of the gospel of Jesus. Rubbish compared to knowing and following Christ Jesus. It is in this context that we're going to read our main scripture for this morning. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. We see Saul, who now prefers the name Paul, speak of how willing and ready he is to give his total self for the cause of the gospel of Jesus. He receives complete freedom through Jesus Christ. But Paul is ready and willing to give that freedom away so that he might serve others and deliver that same freedom in Christ to them. 
Paul would be willing to lose himself in pursuit of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being under the law myself, or myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul summarizes his entire point in verse 19. Though I am free of all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. In Jesus Christ, and because of what Jesus has done on the cross and through the empty tomb for us, we have all been given total freedom. Freedom from everything that ensnares us in our flesh. Freedom from sin, freedom from death, freedom from the expectations of others, and even freedom from our own sinful selves. Complete, total freedom. No other thing like it in the universe. No other freedom lives up to the freedom we have in Christ. Paul, however, is willing to give that freedom up so that he might become a servant to others and see them one to Christ. He goes on to list examples. He was willing to become a Jew to the Jew. Now, he actually was a Jew, but he is willing and focusing on on his willingness to continue in that identity, even though he had been set free from it in Jesus Christ. To those under the law, he was willing to make himself as one under the law. To those that he spent so much time arguing against that tried to subject themselves and everyone else around them to the law, Paul was willing at times to go under that law so that he could minister to them. And to those who were no longer under the law of the Old Testament, but now under the law of Christ, he was willing to live in their style as well, to appreciate that freedom alongside with them so he might welcome them in without putting the unbearable weight of the Old Testament law upon them. And even to the weak, he was willing to become weak. Again, you got to love the meaning of his name at this point. It's actually, he's already done it when he says, to the weak, I became weak. Saul, big man Saul, I was willing to become Paul. I became weak so that I might win the weak, Paul says. Again, in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he says that he is the least of all the apostles. He was willing to descend to that point so that he might be there with those who were already at that point. Why? Why was he willing to give this up? Why was he willing, as the passage that Bill quoted earlier, to consider all that he had gained in his life as rubbish compared to the knowledge of Jesus Christ? Why was he willing to do that? He says it. So that he might win some to Christ. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, Paul says. If you ever wanted to see whether or not this guy was completely sold out or what it looked like to be completely sold out as an evangelist of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul is a good example. In Romans 9, chapter 3, 
in the midst of some of the most the the the, the deepest and, and most uh, um, complicated of of his writing. He says when he is considering the place of the Jews and how many of them have have rejected Christ and what that might mean for their eternal security. He says in Romans nine three that he wished that he could be accursed. He wished that he could be cut off from his eternal blessing if that's what it would take for his brothers and sisters in the Jewish world to accept and be saved by Jesus Christ. He was willing to give up absolutely everything, everything that he had earned and everything that he had been given through Jesus. He was willing to give it up for the sake of the gospel so that other people might know this freedom that he is willing to lay back on the altar in order to subject himself to other people, even though he doesn't have to because he loves them and he wants them to be free. He exhibits in that way true Christ-like love. He had completely lost himself in his divine mission. His mission to be the missionary to the Gentiles. To take the gospel of Jesus, which is very simply, you are lost. Jesus has come to save you from your sin and the death that is waiting you and the hell that is waiting beyond that. Will you accept that as reality? Will you be free from yourself, be free from the consequences of sin and death and live a life of eternity in submission to Jesus Christ? He is giving them this gospel, everything he is willing to give up for the sake of that truth so that others might experience it. He had completely lost himself. He was Saul no longer. He was indeed someone small on purpose because that's what it was going to take to bring the gospel to the world. And so in that same way, you and I are called today, just like Paul was called then, to lose ourselves. Now you know that. You've heard that. You've heard probably the story of Jesus saying something very similar, that if anyone wants to gain their life, they must first lose it. To pick up your cross daily, Jesus says, and to follow after me. This idea of self-sacrifice is not unfamiliar to those of you who know Scripture. You know that this is what Jesus calls us towards yet. The idea of completely losing yourself. If we really dive into it and try to truly understand it and live that way, we will see just how counter-cultural that idea truly is. To lose yourself completely for the sake of the gospel. The cult of self-absorption is alive and well in 2017 American life. The cult of self-absorption is alive and well in 2017 church American life. So much so that we have completely tricked ourselves into believing that the single most important thing in all of life is being true to ourselves. Expressing our true identity. How do I know that? Because even saying that seems foreign from an American mouth. Right? Because believing in yourself That's what we're taught from a very early age as the most important thing. And being true to ourselves is the ultimate value in our Western society. And to even question that is to be seen as someone who wants to subject others to some sort of kind of mental slavery or something. The idea of giving yourself up is incredibly foreign to the way we live our lives today. Because one of the commandments, unspoken commandments, but one of the commandments of today's culture is to have no other gods before yourself. We flip that old Ten Commandment on its head. To have no other gods before me. That's what's most important. And the world lifts that up. 
like the, the self-help gurus or, or the people who, who want what's best for you out in the world, they tell you that, to look out for number one. They don't put it in that terminology, but they want to make sure that you get you right before you worry about anybody else. Again, that sounds right from a human perspective, doesn't it? I should get me right before I get anybody else. That's what we think to ourselves. Open your Bible and try to find that somewhere, though. Open your Bible and try to find the scripture that says, take care of yourself before you worry about anybody else. Open that up. Try to find it. I don't think you're going to. At least I haven't before. But we see that exemplified over and over again. This steps on my toes. This is not something we want to hear, this idea of not looking out for yourself. But we certainly see that idea played out in culture. We see it played out by the man or woman who decides to divorce his or her spouse after 20 or 30 years because, well, I just not am really sure who I am anymore, and I need to find myself. Forsaking that, that decade's worth of love and, and all of those, 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 those acts of love towards each other and, and, and even what you said before God and these witnesses because I need to find myself. It's the voice that says when you're in an argument with your spouse or with someone at work or with a classmate or with a friend, it's that voice that says, yeah, you know, I know all of what you're saying makes sense and that you sound right, but I'm right, so I'm not going to apologize. I know I'm wrong, but I'm not going to apologize. It's that voice that is speaking, the voice that says to consider yourself and be true to yourself above all else. Even some of the greatest evils in our world today, the pro-choice movement is based upon this idea that your rights are more important than anything else, we see a whole segment of our society based on that, that even human life falls second to your identity and your choice. This is what our world proclaims and what we see taught from a cultural perspective. And we see it more so in our own lives, and I'm going to step on our toes instead of just pointing at everybody else, in the way that we spend money, in our credit card statements, in the way that we treat the environment. We even see that, not worrying about those who go beyond us because we're going to take everything that we can. We are a society that is worried solely about self to the point that we think to ourselves, I'm going to lose everybody else as long as I'm true to myself. That's all that matters. This is what we see proclaimed in our culture, and this is what many of us paint a Christian veneer on and buy hook, line, and sinker, that it's all about me, that it's all about my identity, even to the point in our world today where we are willing to rewrite the laws of God-given anatomy in order to be true to someone's identity. This is where we find ourselves. And this is where the message that Paul speaks needs to be delivered into our hearts. Because Christ calls us to something different. You see, I pointed at worldly evils. Let's talk about the biggest Christian evil. Hoarding the gospel of Jesus Christ for ourselves. I talked about abortion, divorce, transsexualism, all that here in just the last few minutes. In my opinion... No sin is any greater than any other sin from a God perspective. I understand that. But in my opinion, there is no greater sin in our world today that is more destructive to the cause of Christ and the church as a whole than the sin of keeping the gospel to yourself. 
of keeping the greatest news that has ever been spoken and delivered to anyone. The news that granted you freedom from all of the stuff that enslaved you, the addictions you've overcame, the relationships that have been mended, and your sin-filled heart being expunged and seen righteous before Jesus Christ and before the Lord because of what Jesus had done. All of that, when you keep it to yourself, is nothing short of sinful. And it's worse than any point in the culture we can point to. Because Christ calls us to something different. To lose ourselves. To lose our lives. To be from a worldly perspective a loser. A little man like Paul. Who was willing to give up the greatness so that he might give himself to others. To give ourselves to those, to him, to God. And those that God through Jesus came to serve. To be like Paul, a missionary to the Gentiles. And it doesn't come without a reward, by the way. In verse 23, Paul says, So that I may all this for the sake of the gospel, so that some might be one, so that I may share with them in its blessings. Lose yourself and find something so much better than you. Find the church of Jesus Christ. Find an eternal place in the community of Jesus, worshiping at the foot of his throne for eternity. Find that. That's better than you. That's better than me. That's better than any self that is in this room. And it's exactly what Christ has called us to, to lose ourselves and find something so much better. His identity, his way is more important and bigger than ours will ever be. And so I hope that all of you realize that Paul's calling, his like general calling, the great commission of Jesus Christ, is not specific to him and other people like him. It is a calling for all of us to give ourselves away for the sake of others. First, for the sake of the people that we live with, to love them with everything that we have. Second, for the people right around us, our community and ultimately for the entire world, to lay down our own wants and own desires. Why? So that some might be one to Jesus Christ. Give yourself away and watch what God will do with it. This morning, during our time of invitation, I would like to invite anyone in this room that has not yet know Christ as Savior and King to give yourself away at this very moment to give yourself to him. I can pray with you and lead you in that direction. I'll be here during our time of invitation. You could find me after the service if you would rather talk privately. And for those of you who do have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, how can you, right now I want you to begin to think about it and let the Holy Spirit lay his conviction upon you. How can you, this week, how can you lose yourself for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of others? One real way that you can give to Jesus and give to to others. If you need to pray about this or anything else, I'll be down here this morning to do that with you. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray. Our band is going to lead us in a song of invitation. And then you move in whatever way God is calling. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for speaking to us, to me. God, thank you for being worth giving ourselves up for. God, thank you that the prize that lies beyond our wildest imaginations is greater, so much greater than anything we could earn on our own. 
And God, help us in this room, those of us who know you as Savior, show us a way this week to give ourselves away, to lose ourselves for you and for the sake of your gospel. We pray that in Jesus' name.